0: Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Patman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Pierce Alley, and Plumwood, let's get radical about philosophy. It's not the dying, but living. That is preparation for death. Margot Asquith. More and less about myself. 1934. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews.
1: I'm Sue Dodds and you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial.
0: And I'm speaking to Professor Yana Thompson from La Trobe University about... Death and What We Owe the Dead. Welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you, Beth.
0: Death is usually a subject that most of us try to avoid. So, what was it that inspired you to study What We Owe the Dead?
1: Well, I'm interested in. Uh, historical justice. And I'm also interested in intergenerational justice. I've written things on both topics. Now, most people who talk about intergenerational justice are concerned with what we owe to future generations. But it seems to me we also owe something to past generations. We'll take Anzac Day, which wasn't all that long ago, or commemoration of Gallipoli. I think a lot of people believe that they ought to honor the dead. They ought to remember the dead, even if they don't have particularly agree with the existence of Gallipoli as such an important holiday, or even if they don't think that World War I was a good war, nevertheless, I think there's a, a lot of consensus of, that we owe the dead, those who've sacrificed their life, a remembrance at least and some form of honor. And that's just one of the cases where I think we are convinced that there are duties to the dead, that we have to take them into account as well as the living, as well as future people.
0: It has been said that a funeral is really only for the living, not for the dead. And most people really go out of their way, such as travelling interstate, taking time off work or even travelling overseas to attend a funeral. But wouldn't it be more practical to spend time with a person when they're really alive?
1: Oh, for sure. And I think that uh, many people... Wish that they had when somebody is dead, they say, Oh, if only I had talked to them more. If only I had said, I'm sorry for what I did to you long ago. Oh, and now I'll never get another chance again. So I think there is that. And I think that it's true that certainly people should spend time with with their friends, their relatives when they're living so that they don't have these kinds of regrets after they're dead. But I don't think, and I think funerals are a lot for the living, but I think that again, that's a kind of a way of honoring the dead too so it's not entirely for the living
0: did you think that there's a link to the mind body debate and look i hold the view that our body is merely a vessel to carry our mind while we're alive therefore when when our mind has left our body our body really has no further significance or connection to us Mm -hmm.
1: Well, there are a lot of people who don't believe this, of course. They believe, well, they may believe there's a life after death, that the mind goes on in some form, even though the body is dead. And there are a lot of people, I think, that it matters to them how they're buried. It may be for religious reasons. It may be just uh, that they have a preference. Or maybe they want to donate their organs or something like that. So I think that there's, you know, th- that even people who are, uh, who don't believe that uh, there's a life after death still s- uh, often care about what happens to their body. But I think there is a connection with the mind body problem. I think that now a lot of people believe that the mind and body are are not separate, that they're one, so that if your body has, if, if once you die, your mind doesn't go on in any form, you're just dead, there, there, there's nothing left. But I don't think that that necessarily means that there aren't duties to the dead.
0: Yes, I was having a conversation with, with somebody the other day, and I was telling them about organ transplants and how there's been a few cases where people have have had a heart transplant or a lung transplant and beforehand they say, for example, they didn't have any interest in vintage cars and then all of a sudden they went out and they, they they just had to buy a vintage car. And then there was another person with a heart transplant and they couldn't eat meat anymore. They became vegetarian and they did this before they found out that the donors that they'd received their body parts from, one was fanatical vintage car fan and the other one was vegetarian. So it seems like there, there is some sort of an unexplained link, isn't there, between the, the mind and the body?
1: Well, I think the mind and body, I don't think we can... I think we have the idea that our mind is in one place and our body is in another but really who we are has to do with our our bodily uh, well the way we express ourselves bodily and our bodily habits as well as our the ideas in our mind now I don't know about these cases that you um, you you just mentioned and it could be just a coincidence but I'm not at all surprised that our body but uh, bodies and minds are so interconnected it's hard to that it's hard to think about one without the other can we really harm the dead or are we really just harming ourselves
0: by not being respectful towards them?
1: Well I think that there are a lot of philosophers who, believe who, who certainly don't believe in life after death but nevertheless believe that we can harm the dead and they explain this in various ways. Now my view is this, that although the dead don't feel anything and don't care what we do we're, you know, about their interests after they're dead. Nevertheless, the living do care about what often about what's going to happen after their death. Most people have desires that are that transcend their own lifetime. they For example, they want their children to do well. they have, may have ideas about how their possessions ought to be distributed after they're dead. They may have their ideas about how they ought to be buried. Uh, what the funeral arrangements ought to be, uh, and so on and so forth. And sometimes I think they, they believe, rightly, that they can make requests, you know, le- legitimate requests of those people who are likely to survive them. And then it's the duty of these people who survive them to carry, out, carry these out. So, for example, if I were on my deathbed and you were my daughter and I said, look, I've l- worked on this manuscript for most of my life and I didn't get around to sending it to the publisher's could you send it, please, and you say, yes, I will, and then just forget about it. I think you could say that you've harmed me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you wouldn't be here to see it, though. I
1: wouldn't be here to see it. I wouldn't be here to be disappointed. But nevertheless, I think that the fact that people have desires for what their successors do while they're alive is important. One philosopher explains it in a sort of contractual way. You know, each members of each generation believe that they can make requests of those who will succeed them. And it's part of the contract that these people fulfill the, their requests and then make are entitled to make requests of their successes and so on through the generations. I like this. I think it's a nice idea.
0: <laughs> now, there was one case you were writing about, and it was a a father who sold his son's body for research when the the son really didn't want that to happen. Can you tell us a little bit more about
1: that? Oh, well, this is a philosopher's example, mm-hmm. although I, I, I suppose you can find real cases of where this happens. It's actually the, the father requests the son, um, please, uh, it makes a difference to me. Uh, could you please bury me next to my wife after I'm dead? And the son who doesn't believe that you know people can make requests like that decides instead to sell his father's body to the medical faculty for experiments. <laughs> 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 and uh, and the uh, the person who made it philosopher who made up this example said, "Well, isn't wouldn't you say that the son has harmed his father, even though the father doesn't experience any harm?" And I agree with that because I think there are certain things you can demand of the live uh, of your successes. That they ought to do, and if they don't do it well, it's a kind of harm.
0: Suppose <laughs> well, it is. I know when my mother passed away. Before she passed away, she went to her sister's funeral, and it was one thing she kept speaking about at her sister's funeral and how her sister had this beautiful white coffin. And I thought I thought it was actually it was sort of like a shame, but it was frustrating at the same time because when she passed away. I had a look at the coffin that she had prepaid everything with Mm. her funeral and I opted to get the more expensive coffin which was white and just like her sister had and, and she was so taken with but I actually found it really sad because I thought look I've gone out of my way and I've got my mother this beautiful white coffin but is there any point because she doesn't know that I've actually done this for her and she's being buried in the white coffin? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I found it, it, it was almost, I, I mean, I should have said to her when she was alive, I'm going to get you that white coffin, that, you know, the same one as your yeah. sister had. And I didn't.
1: Yes well I, it's very hard to tell there are some cases where what we do for the dead is more to uh, more to oh i don't know to salve our consciences to show that we show others that we cared about them enough to buy them an expensive coffin when we realize that the person wouldn't have cared at all <laughs>
0: <laughs> Now
1: before you were
0: mentioning a little bit about religion so what what part does culture play in what we owe to the dead
1: a lot, I think, um well, just go back a couple of generations, where I think it was a common belief that you you had a duty to pay your your parents' debts, that you had you ought to revenge insults or slights that were done to your ancestors or to your relatives or that if you made a deathbed promise you really ought to keep it now I don't think we really believe any of those things anymore where our culture has changed I don't think we think we owe the dead all that much anymore and I think there are some there are some cultures where I think there are quite you know, stringent ideas about what what's owed to the dead, uh, uh, where uh, children might believe that they are duty-bound to follow in the footsteps of their parents. Again, something we don't really believe anymore. So I think culture plays a very large role in people's views about what they should do to the dead. That doesn't mean I don't think that you can't defend some views about what, you, what we owe to the dead at, at, on rational grounds. As I said, people have interests uh, that, about what happens after their death and sometimes I think it's quite reasonable that they can make a request of their of their uh, survivors to fulfil these things. <laughs> You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR
0: Community Radio 855 on your AM dial and I'm speaking to Professor Yana Thompson about what we owe the dead. Yeah, now, when you sort of look around a cemetery, you'll notice that different cultures tend to have different monuments and different burials. And I had actually noticed that maybe Italian people sort of go in for very lavish sort of monuments that could cost thousands of dollars. And I almost think, well, they've gone out of their way to do this and perhaps even to the detriment of their living family. Do you think that that's really the right thing to do to almost make the the living suffer to honour the dead?
1: Well, I don't, uh, I'm not going to make a judgment about what uh, people do in other cultures because sometimes it's very important for the family. Sometimes these things are regarded as more of a family thing than an individual thing. I remember visiting a French cemetery in a country town and being impressed by the fact that all the monuments are family monuments. It's as if individuals only existed as part of a family. And I think that's true in a lot of cultures. So what? So these things are a way of the family making a statement about their worth their, their continued existence, how they regard their, their ancestors, their family. And so a lot of things are bound up with that. And I don't – so it's very difficult to make a judgment, oh, they're spending too much on that, when actually this is really important to their existence.
0: <laughs> and do you think that, that it's just disrespectful for children not to follow
1: any traditional values? No, I don't. I I think that it would be disrespectful for children not even to try to appreciate what their predecessors, their parents, left for them. But we live in a liberal society and we believe that people should make up their own minds about what they value according to their own interests, their own needs. And I don't and and so I think it's it's possible for people to say, well, we're not having anything of the these traditions that come from our 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 family, our ancestors and and not to and and for it not to be wrong for them to say that. But as I said, I think that there probably is a duty for people to at least make an attempt to understand and appreciate what they're predecessors left for them. For example, when our government on behalf of us declares a national park, this is not supposed to be just for living people. It's supposed to be for future people to enjoy as well. And so I think we would be a little bit irritated if we thought that our successors would just say, Oh, we're not we don't really interested in that. We're not gonna try to understand why why people did this. We'll use it for housing developments instead.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's a very good point.
1: Uh, now, can you explain what the term
0: intergenerational obligation is?
1: Yeah. Well, an obligation is simply a duty. So when I'm talking, when, when I, so I've written on intergenerational obligations, and that means what sort of things we owe to, well, future people. And I also want to include past people as well as as people that we can have intergenerational obligations to. And the future people may be people who are alive now, our children, you know, uh, or they may be people who haven't even been born yet. Uh, so intergenerational justice includes not just what we owe future generations, like not to muck up our, our environment so badly that they can't have a good life, but also includes, well, what the young owe to the older people of their society and what older people of the society owe to the young. So it's includes lots of things.
0: Just recently there's been a bit of an interest in looking up your descendants and there's been quite quite a lot of advertising about it as well. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been really fascinating with people finding their families and finding going back generations mm-hmm. and discovering that their relatives may have been plumbers, and and it's sort of gone right down the line. But they had no idea about that. So I suppose, in a way, that respecting your past generations, isn't it?
1: Yes, I think it is, and also I I think it shows that the idea uh, what what's important to people is not just the here and now uh, that they that people get something out of looking. For what their ancestors did. That gives them a kind of a connection with the past that's very valuable, or at least very interesting to many people.
0: That's right. And I think too, a lot of things have changed because I one of, one of my hobbies, one of my quirky hobbies is going and having a look when I go to country towns at the cemeteries because there's so much history there. But when you actually look at a lot of the tombstones, it'll have the person's name born and died and it might be beloved father of or wife to but it doesn't really give you any other indication on the personality of that person Mm. but more more recent monuments you'll go along and look and and there'll be something like dedicated friend or a free spirit and I think that people are, are more describing the personality and leaving something more behind for other people to come along and look at somebody's monument and get an idea of a sense of who they really were. Uh
1: And I think that has to do with the fact that now we exist as individuals and not just as members of a family or a community. So it used to be, Mm -hmm. well, the important information was who you were spouse of and – and uh, and your family name and that's the all and, and well the, your, your dates and that was all that was regarded as necessary to put on monuments and now we are much more interested in celebrating an individual and their life and what their particular characteristics were and I think that has something to do with that.
0: So hopefully in generations to come people can look back and sort of get more of a sense of who the person was who's viewing their monuments. Now I suppose Suppose it could be advisable for people who want to be buried or cremated or perhaps even donate their body to science to put their wishes in writing and perhaps keep this with their will because when you have to make those type of decisions on behalf of of somebody else especially when you haven't had that conversation with them it quite can be quite difficult can't it
1: Oh yes, and I think that's right. I think that that's important. Uh, that if you if you have if you are interested in what what um, people will do after your death, if you care about, it, if you care, for example, what kind of color coffin you're going to have, it's certainly a good idea to say so. Then people aren't, are even people who know you well might not r- recognize that you care about these things, and so it's best to make it clear. Well, there does seem to be a trend now for people
0: to even prepay their funerals so that they're not sort of leaving that burden behind for other people as well, pick mm-hmm. up the tab, and to also put instructions about what they want to happen in their funeral and even who to, who they would like to attend their funeral. Mm-hmm. So... I think this is a bit of a new trend as well because in the past people have sort of just left everything up to chance really, haven't they?
1: Yes, and in fact I I know of two funerals that I've gone to in recent times where the person had picked the music they wanted to be played there, which I think is fine. (laughs) Yes, it
0: is. Now I remember with a friend of mine who... We'd sort of known him for over 20 years but we hadn't known him as a young man mm-hmm. and it was quite interesting because we thought, well, we we know, we'll call him Bill, we know Bill very well but when we actually got in touch with a few friends of his that we hadn't met that he'd known from when he was a young boy back in um, England... It turns out that Bill was a very different person to the Bill we knew for the last 20-plus years, and we were actually quite shocked. And the other thing he had served in the forces, and it it was only briefly, it was only for, for a year or so, but we were faced with a decision of, do we put the flag over his coffin? It was so long ago. Did he want that? Or would he have been opposed to that? Mm. So, I mean, it was it was such a dilemma. So we actually decided to, to put the flag over there because we thought it would be least offensive to him to have the flag. We, we sort of half... Draped it over his coffin, so we'd only half get it wrong or half get it right. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's very difficult because if he'd become anti-war or something mm. like that, he probably you could probably figure he wouldn't have wanted it. But then you couldn't be sure. And after all, maybe we should respect our past li- our past lives as well as past people they well, play well, that's, a role. <laughs> we are.
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. So it can be very difficult in that situation, mm. and especially when he didn't have any living relatives either you know to sort of make those decisions on his behalf and yeah it's a very good point because people change throughout their lives and and I mean I think it's something that you actually need to update probably as often as your will Mm -hmm. because there's so many people who die without a will and there would be you know not very many people would put their wishes in writing and keep it somewhere safe would they?
1: Well, yes, that goes back to what you said, really, at the beginning—that people don't like to think about death—and uh, maybe one of the lessons is that they should think about it at least a little, not necessarily in a morbid way, but simply about what they're about what they want their predecessors to do for them after they're dead, and what kind of ways they want to be remembered. So, it's, yeah, it's a good thing to think about it. Mm. In a practical sense,
0: otherwise you know you are leaving people with with enormous burden really, having to make decisions on your behalf and which is it's probably a very well it is a very stressful time anyway, let alone having to make all of all of these decisions as well so so I think it's it's very good advice for anybody listening, even if you just jot down a few ideas and put it somewhere where people can find it. And, yeah, you're right about that being so confronting as well because I've purchased a, a plot. I want to be buried and I've purchased a, a plot and when I did that, the, the woman contacted me and she said, well, well yes, we have the deed to your plot of land and I said oh yes and I said well this is my address could you send it to me and she said oh she said look a lot of people they can take one step purchasing the plot getting everything organised but they don't want the actual deed sent to them in the mail because it's too confronting So do you think that's an issue, why people can't make a lot of these decisions when they're living? Because it is a very confronting thing to think that we're we're all going to die.
1: Yes, I think that's true, and they're, made, just, they're making uh, difficulties for the people who survive them by not giving at least a little thought to it, which doesn't mean you have to think about it all the time, but once in a while, it's a good idea.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for coming in today and discussing such a, an, an interesting and sometimes taboo subject.
1: Okay. Thank you, Beth, for
0: having me. And I've been speaking to Professor Jana Thompson about what we owe the dead.
1: Hi, I'm Jackie Broad. I'm an ARC Future Fellow at Monash University, Melbourne, and I'm listening
0: to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR.